been looking at the historical count in 1 Chronicles 28 and 29, when King David turned over leadership to his son Solomon. And David declares in these chapters that God establishes each generation and God equips them to be strong and do it. And last week we looked at that their example of joyful giving, that the people's response to this was to give extravagantly to the building project of the temple of God. But we've seen in each week, each study, that it's God who must do a fresh work in each generation. God must work in the heart so that faith and love become living realities in each person's life. And so today, we're going to look at how God keeps our hearts in Him. And I, I just was thinking of that verse in the special music from Brandon Heath, when we, talking about when my heart runs away. And uh, we have, here's an example of a people at their, when, they, when their hearts did not run away, but they ran fully towards God. And the question is, how can God keep us in that way? So let's pray as we read God's Word. God, thank you for this word. Thank you how you've worked in each generation and all throughout history, calling people, drawing them to yourself, directing our hearts toward you. Please direct our hearts today towards you and do this throughout our lives and we find grace and life in you. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're reading 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and we're looking at verses 10 through 19. And the people have all just given, like I said, they've all just given generously to the building project, and here is David's response. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our Lord, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided... For building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. 
Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. So at the end there, David prayed that God would keep these thoughts and these purposes in their hearts and direct their hearts towards him. And David knew personally the struggle of our, of our hearts, our runaway hearts. <laughs> our hearts are easily misled. And in our generation today, we, we talk maybe a lot, the world talks a lot about valuing genuineness and the importance of consistency between your heart and your life. But the world around you tells you that this genuineness is found by following your heart without question. Uh, whatever it desires, the world says, go for it, do for it, because that's, that's where true, true genuineness is found in just doing whatever your heart says. And the problem is that our hearts are impressionable and they're conflicted and the world knows so well how to sell things to our hearts. David's prayer was that our hearts would be directed toward what is truly good. And in the Psalms, David regularly, when he was writing, he, he talked to his own heart he directed his heart to God. And we see this here, uh, Psalm 42, 11. David's speaking to his heart. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And Psalm 119, 32. I, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart or verse 36 incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain and psalm 141 verse 4 do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy itself with wicked deeds so david prayed spoke to his own heart directing his own heart and he prayed that god would keep the people's hearts and these thoughts and purposes. And he, he has specific thoughts and minds here. The first is that we keep an exalted view of God. The first thought to keep in our hearts is that we keep an exalted view of God. Uh, as we said, all, all the people of the nation had just given generously for the building project of the temple. And David's response was not self-congratulations. Oh, look at how good we are. That's not his response. Instead, he praised God for how great he is. And, and I love David's words in 10 through 13, verses 10 through 13. Uh, and in fact, they, they were kind of the inspiration for this whole series. Because earlier in August, uh, that it was our regular scripture reading, was, was those verses, just those three verses there. And I read them as I was preparing, and I thought to myself, like, why were these written? What was the context? What was the occasion? And so I read the whole chapters and, and I felt, oh, this is so good. I got to share it with everybody here. This, we're going to make this a series. It was going to be a two-part and then became a four-part and, <laughs> and here we are. Um, but it's just such a glorious hymn of praise. It's so rich and full of God's 
glory and goodness. And so let's, let's look at it. Verse 10. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. So David connected God with the people and their lives. The Lord Almighty is the God of Israel, the man who was the father of the nation. He's the namesake of the whole country, Israel. So the people, their lands, their properties and farms, their tribes and families, everything they had, everything they were, came from God. And they were a fulfillment of God's promise to the man, Israel. So he connected it with that, the people very directly. Uh, verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So we see here five qualities listed, and these qualities belong to God, and they find their, their fullest ultimate form in Him. And so the first one here is greatness. And in greatness, we, we naturally recognize greatness. Uh, when, when someone is at their best, we call him the goat, the greatest of all time. And we're naturally, I think we just naturally filter these things and discuss these things, right? We talk about what we just want to know. Who do you think is the greatest athlete, the greatest, you know, or what's the greatest book? What's the greatest movie? Who's the greatest artist? What's the great, who's the greatest singer right now? We're constantly, who's the greatest? Well, the greatness belongs to God. So every possible way that it means to be greater, to be more, to be stronger, to be superior, to have the highest honor, to be distinct, to have that special quality that just shines out. All that is God's. And so whatever you recognize as great, God is more. <laughs> so the greatness is His. And his is the power, the strength to take action. This is always God's. God always has the power to act. There's nothing God is powerless against. And we experience powerlessness, helplessness in our lives all the time. There, there are things we just don't have enough power against. And as I shared with you, I experienced that yesterday. I was powerless to swallow water <laughs> and had to go to finally say, okay, I can't fix this. I can't endure this. I need to go get help. But God never finds himself in that position. He, his is the power. And his is the glory. The and glory here is, is the beauty and splendor. This is not a, a subjective beauty in the eye of the beholder. This refers to a, a, a splendor that, that shines out, that radiates out, because it, it is inherently good. And uh, I was thinking about this. That, you know, there are many days where my house is overwhelmed with mess. Uh, toys, clothes, books. I get it clean, and my toddlers can undo that in five minutes through the whole house. You know, just food, books, just everywhere. But this doesn't change the fact that the house is well made. 
You know, the house is still a good, quality, well-made house. The mess might cover that up, but it doesn't change it. It doesn't change the quality of the house. And then God's quality of victory. The, so we think of victory, the glory of winning the gold medal, winning the champion trophy. The glory of victory is always God's. Its highest, ultimate form of victory is His. And, and we all know, we, we all enjoy the satisfaction of victory, um, whether it's you know, winning a competition or maybe it's just the satisfaction of overcoming a daily household obstacle. Because sometimes we just need those small victories, right? The small victory just to remind ourselves that, wait, wait, I can overcome something. I can change something for the better. And there's satisfaction. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I just love the cleaning something because it's tangible results, right? Like, no, like I overcame that. I changed that. It was dirty before, and now it's clean. <laughs> you know, we just need sometimes a simple victory. But sometimes we, we also experience the disappointment of sin, seeing one of our proudest victories just come undone. You know, it might be, hey, you saved up and you bought the dream car and it got totaled. Or someone gives you a, 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 just a cherished, precious gift and someone else le- loses essential pieces to that gift the first day you have it. Like all these ways, we we know that disappointment of seeing our victories, our things, undone. But ultimate, irreversible victory is God's. That belongs to God. His victory cannot be undone, cannot be reversed. So although we experience setbacks throughout life, we find final victory in God. And then his is the majesty. Majesty, I was trying to, okay, what is majesty? I mean, how do you just define majesty other than majesty? (laughs) And uh, so I was looking it up, and and so it's been described as as radiance and beauty, authority and weight. And and these words kind of describe how we perceive it. And so with like majesty, well, it's observed to be like light. It, it radiates from its source. The thing just has majesty, in it, but it, it's beautiful. It has an intrinsic quality of beauty. But majesty has authority and weight, too. It does not give when it's pushed against. So God's majesty is... It's heavy, but not in a way we weigh, you know, not in the, the manner that we weigh by tonnage or pounds or ounces. God's authority has a weight, but it's, it's in a weight of authority. It is unmovable, but it's, it's glorious and it's beautiful too. God's majesty means his, his authority is beyond question. The strength of his person and his presence inspires obedience, and his beauty woos us with its goodness. And all this is his majesty. And all these are God's because everything in heaven and earth are God's. 
They are his because he's the creator of all things. So whatever you might consider to be great or powerful or glorious or victorious or majestic, these things get that quality from God who created them. And then verse 12 and 13, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. God rules over all. He gives both riches and honor. In his hand are power and might. And the picture that David describes in these words here is, is a picture of God distributing power out of his hand as if he's handing it out and, and distributing it, delegating it. And this teaches us that we do not need to be anxious about the power of others, nor should we be anxious when we lack these things, and nor should we be arrogant when we find that we have them. And so, so we, we consider those who do have power, we think of Power, awesome power, the power of, of leaders and nations, political forces and movements can be overwhelming things to, to consider, to even try to measure because it's just beyond what we can calculate. And, and sometimes it can feel like we are just caught up in the irresistible tides of our society and culture. But all powers and all who have power will reach their limit the point where God says, no further, here's your boundary. Your power will run out and be gone there. And I was thinking about the, the tragic war in Ukraine, but you, you read all the, the details behind the lines, and Russia's, it, Russia's finding the limits of its resources. They are buying new ammunition. They're trying to resupply their ammunition from North Korea. They don't have enough... They burned through their deep storage of ammunition, basically, is what it looks like. And they're having to buy it from elsewhere just to keep up their own war. They're finding out. They, they're finding, as powerful and as overwhelming as the superpower of Russia is, they are discovering that their power has a limit. It is not endless. That doesn't change that it's a tragedy, but, we're, but even things that are tragic, even forces that are being used for evil find very practically, that their, their power has a limit. And then we consider ourselves, if we are anxious because we feel helpless or weak or insignificant, we should turn to God, who is the one who gives riches and honor and strength. And if we find that we do have power, we have strength, then we should Thank God who has allowed us to have these things and we should use them for good and for his praise. And we should also keep a humble view of ourselves. This is the, the other big thought David wanted to keep in our, our hearts, that we keep a humble view of ourselves. Verses 14 through 16. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, 
and of your own we have given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there's no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. King David kept a humble view of himself. Who am I? What are my people that we should offer this extravagant gift for God's temple? And as we pointed out earlier, we, we sing during the offertory, we, we give thee but thine own, whatever the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. And I haven't confirmed this, but yeah, it really seems these, these ideas come straight from this scripture. I didn't confirm that with the writer of the hymn, though. But, <laughs> um, but it's so true. All things are from God. So whatever power or riches that man discovers on earth, well, those were created by the God who created the earth. And whatever you or I might accomplish with our strength or with our intellect, those ultimately come from God because God put those in us. Those are potential capacities God placed in mankind when he created mankind. That strength and that intellect ultimately was planted in us when he created us. So we are always truly giving God back his own. And also we are sojourners. And a sojourner has a special significance, especially in um, the law of Moses and the, law of, the laws of hospitality. A, a sojourn is a traveler who is dependent upon the hospitality of another. And a good host shares his food and shelter with the traveler and, and treats, as a, treats him as a guest of honor. And he does this, he does this because it is righteous to share with a traveler in need. A traveler is far from home, without support and without friends or family to call upon. If he runs out, he has no one to go to. He is in need. So the host does this out of mercy. There's no benefit to the host, and he has no special connection with the sojourner, with the traveler. The traveler is a stranger to him. And David says, this is like our position before God. Because of our sin, we are like strangers to God. We have no claim upon his hospitality or his mercy. And any payment we would offer him for his kindness would be just giving him back his own. <laughs> we can't even pay him for it because anything we'd give him is something he, gave, he is his own. So we rely on his kindness to us. We are needy strangers, and yet he treats us as guests of honor. And when we consider God and ourselves in this way, then we will keep a humble view of ourselves. So therefore, if, we, if you find yourself blessed with any level of abundance, we should use it to show mercy to others as God has shown mercy to us. 
and to praise God as David did as he gave his abundance for God's temple. And finally, in this scripture, David reminds us to keep a willing heart. Keep a willing heart. Verses 17 through 19. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness, in the uprightness of my heart. I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. The appropriate response to God's mercy upon us is to give ourselves to him wholeheartedly. God is delighted when he finds a heart that willingly gives itself wholeheartedly to him. David and all the people gave freely with joy. They did not give begrudgingly. They did not hold back. They obeyed God's word and they pursued his purpose for them. And David knew that this attitude needed to be a way of life. He knew that we need God to keep our hearts true, to keep these thoughts and purposes forever in our hearts. So like David, you should pray that God would keep these thoughts and purposes in your heart. And pray that God would give you a heart that commits itself to him, that commits itself to seeking his ways and to pursuing his purpose for your life. And we know God, God can use all things to direct us to himself, but it is through his word that he directs us to his son, Jesus Christ, who saves you and sends his Holy Spirit to live in your heart and to keep your heart. And I want to look at Ephesians real quickly here. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, Christ... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. When you believed in Jesus Christ and he saved you, he placed his Holy Spirit within you. And his spirit is the seal and the guarantee upon your life that salvation and eternal life are yours. And Jesus Christ does far more than just bring us to God's hospitality and play the good host. He takes us, who were strangers and sojourners, and he makes us members of God's household. Ephesians 2, verse 13, and then 18 through 22. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens or with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus Christ is the new and greater David, who the suffering servant who brings peace to his people. Jesus Christ is the new and greater Solomon, building the true dwelling place of God with his people. Jesus is your priest and your mediator with God, and he is the sacrifice that makes you clean. And so the, the faithless, broken, selfish heart is forgiven for Jesus' sake, and it's made clean and whole and willing in him. Jesus is the one you can trust yourself to completely. You can trust yourself completely with him. He will keep your heart forever in these holy thoughts and purposes, and he will keep you steadfast even against all of life's storms and struggles. Amen. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this reminder that you are God. That all glory, honor, power, strength, victory, majesty, these are yours. And that we find them truly and ultimately in you. That before you we are sojourners. We are dependent upon your kindness to us. And you freely, richly give it mercilessly. You know what I mean. <laughs> Mercifully, mercifully, and graciously to us, Lord. And you are always reaching out to us, finding us, bringing us your mercy and grace in Christ Jesus. Pray, Lord, keep our hearts steadfast and true in Christ. Direct our hearts to you that we may find our purposes, the purpose of our life in you, that we may seek it and pursue it and take joy in knowing you and living for you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.